we're going to talk about biblical answers to prayer. I want to remind you of this, though. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's just like any other discipline in life. It takes effort. It takes effort on your part. It means we pray even when we don't feel like praying. (laughs) It means we pray even after we've gotten a no. We continue to still go to the God who hears and the God who sees. We continue to obey and build relationship even when it's challenging because he saved us, he loves us, and he calls us his own. So as we talk through these biblical answers for prayer, I just want to remind you and encourage you to continue to pray even when you haven't yet gotten the answer to your prayer or even when you get an answer you don't like. How many of you have ever, just human to human, ever gotten an answer you didn't like? Okay, so I'm talking to the right people today. Um, We're going to talk about the answers to prayer that are found in Scripture. This is not comprehensive, but it's basically four that I picked. Um, And I had this thought, for people my age or older, I thought about this with the answers to prayer. Um, Do you remember back in junior high or high school Either you passed a note or you saw someone receive a note or you helped consult a friend who received a note and it said something like this, do you like me? Check yes or no. (laughs) Do you want to date me? Check yes or no. Or maybe, sometimes maybe was an option, right? And then I found, I was looking for pictures that would represent this well, and I found a really funny one that said, it basically had a whole graph drawn out, and it said, do you like me? Yes. If yes, I like you too. If no, fine, I don't like you anyway. <laughs> you know, like they're trying to protect their heart from whatever was going to come. Um, I'm sorry if that brings up any trauma from <clears throat> your teenage years, for those of you that are here, but... I thought about it in terms of the biblical answers to prayer because I think it's fitting for us to think about that. Because if our prayers are like those juvenile attempts at romance, we'd we'd really only ever give God one answer to check, right? If we're honest, we'd only ever have a giant, bold, italicized yes. Okay, there's no room for any other answer. I just want the yes. Um, that's really what we're seeking. And so I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer hoping for a no, uh, but I don't think I can remember a time I've ever prayed for a prayer hoping it was a no. So before we dive in, I want to be clear about a couple things which I think are important for us to be reminded about, and that's if we are to ever receive any answer to our prayer, we must pray according to God's will. Now, I'll share some jokes and try to keep you awake today, although I'm not a stand-up comedian by any choice or chance. But, um, you know, I've joked before and said, man, I would love to pray a prayer like, God, will you help me win the lottery? The problem is you have to play the lottery to win it, right? Unless you find a winning ticket on the ground, okay? This is not your pastor encouraging you to play the lottery, but I am encouraging you to tithe off of the lottery. Pastor, how could you? Hey, 
The Lord is good, and he shows his goodness in different ways. Having said that, we must pray according to God's will. God's will is for us to be good steward of our finances. So I would say, based on biblical principles, that gambling is not okay with God. He doesn't want us to waste. He wants us to invest, and not in something like that, right? So I can pray that prayer, Lord, help me win the lottery. I can buy the scratch off and pray a prayer blessing and throw some olive oil on it, you know, but it's not really going to be according to God's will, I want to show you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 when he was teaching on prayer and he gave us this model for prayer. He says this in verse 9. He says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed this very prayer in the garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed and then arrested. In fact, Matthew in chapter 25, 26 records it three times in a row that Jesus prayed this prayer and said, literally, not my will be done, but yours be done. And honestly, I, I found it somewhat disheartening, but a little bit humorous. That Jesus is having to beg his disciples to stay awake to pray. He's like, don't you realize how important it is what I'm about to do? Can't you just stay awake for a little bit? And he goes and he prays again privately and he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. I want you to understand, just as a side note, this is not um, some weird uh, twist to our Trinitarian theology. This is not to say that Jesus, as the Son of God, deity, had a will that was different than God the Father. It's to say he was in a human body that did not necessarily want to be harmed. How many of us would willingly want to do that? So he said, literally, if this cup can pass from me, please. If not, then nevertheless, let your will be done. So if we ever hope to receive an answer to prayer, we've got to pray according to God's will. In 1 John chapter 5, the apostle John puts it like this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Anything. Say that out loud with me. Anything. Anything according to his will, he hears us. And he goes on to say in verse 15, and if we know then that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him because he's a good father, amen? And he wants to answer us. But sometimes the answer may not be the answer that you are looking for. Just like you may have gotten the note returned that said, no, not really, <laughs> No thanks, or never got the note returned and you just kind of kept waiting, never came. So the first answer that we'll look at today, how many of you like the good news before the bad news? Okay, all of you want the bad news before the good news? Well, I was going to give you the option, but I won't. Here's the good news. The first answer to prayer that we'll look at today is 
obviously the answer yes. Sometimes this is the way that God answers us. Because our God is a God who hears and he loves to respond. Scripture is full of answered prayers with a yes from God. I'm going to give you an interesting one to look at. If you go with me to 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1 to 6, we're going to read a story about King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. You can read more of this in Isaiah chapter 36, 37, 38 in that little section of scripture. But let's read here verses 1 through 6. In those days, King Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. You're about to die. You will not recover. Thanks, buddy, for the good news. (laughs) Really, really appreciate that. Verse 2 says this, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. If I were to imagine what the throne room was like in that moment of Hezekiah receiving that news and then beginning to immediately weep and pray to God, I could see Isaiah just kind of going like, okay, I guess this was the really bad news he didn't want. You know, he's just backing out. The Bible actually tells us what happens next is incredible. Verse three, or uh, it says, uh, verse four, and before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, so he's already leaving from the throne room. He's on his way out of the palace grounds. Before he got out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. And it says, turn back around and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard you. Come on, somebody. He said, I've heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you'll go up to the house of the Lord And verse 6 says, and God continues speaking, and he says, and I will add 15 years to your life. I'll deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I'll defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So Hezekiah pleads for his life, literally. He's been sick, and it's a mysterious thing, but we're told or we're to understand that it was going to cause his death and it was going to be soon so much so that the prophet tells him get your house in order like it's time to pick out the next king do whatever you got to do like let's get all this stuff organized because you're about to go i want to help you though not be confused or misinformed when we talk about the will of god today because i think it's important that you understand that god is not a liar I said, the God you serve is not a liar. Amen? He does foreknow all possible scenarios. Whether they happen or don't, God foreknows. Nothing takes him by surprise. But just because he foreknows all events that are real or possible 
doesn't mean that he predestines every single event that takes place. He predestines certain events, but not every single one. If he did, you would not have a free will. So we've got to use our brain when we are reading the Bible. We've got to understand that God has, does, and will continue to interact in human affairs as a result of their praying. This is incredible. God had made a decision and Hezekiah prayed and no pleaded with God for his life. And God said, okay. And gave him 15 more years. This is all within the scope of God's free will to change his mind on a matter if he wants to. It does not negate his unchangeability. Now, this is heavy theology for this minute or two, but I want you to understand, just because God has the prerogative or the ability to change his mind does not mean that the unchangeable or the big theological word, the immutable nature of God can ever be messed with. That means he he characteristically does not need to improve. He doesn't need to learn anything. You can't teach him anything he doesn't know. Even when he asks questions, he already knows the answer to them. Okay? His character is always kind and good and loving and just fill in the blank with what you know of in Scripture. Those things will not change. But I I believe if you thought about it, there are several people in several instances in Scripture where they prayed And God's direction changed for the moment. That's not to say that Hezekiah didn't die. He died 15 years later. He did die, just like we knew he would. But we need to understand this does not mean that God lied or that Isaiah misspoke. It means that God answered with a yes. That's amazing when you think about it. So I want you to think about it. I want you to use your brain when you think about the word of God and you see things like this, that even though you might be challenged in your thinking of how, how did God, if God said it was going to happen, but then it didn't, well, there's something that changed in the midst of that, which gives me hope in the midst of this. Am I by myself? It gives me hope in the midst of whatever I'm in to say, God, you may have determined this. And, and if it's that, if that's your will, it's okay. But by God, I've served you. I've been faithful to you. I've given you my whole heart and my life. Hezekiah said these words and God said, I've heard and I've seen the tears you've cried. I find it interesting that those images are paired often when God responds, that he hears and that he sees. It's amazing to have this confidence. And although we always want him to answer yes to our prayers, the second answer that is given often in scripture is no. Our faith-filled requests do not supersede God's sovereignty. If he was just bound by your prayer and only your prayer, then he would, in effect, cease to be God. 
if you think clearly about this, we would then be God's because we would be dictating his actions. So we need to understand that even when we do have a faith-filled request, if we receive a no to that, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God who is over all, amen? Sometimes he does say no to prayers that we pray. You can keep on praying, (laughs) You can keep on persevering in prayer. I'm not telling you to stop. I'm just telling you that sometimes the answer is unequivocally no. And I've met some people who were immature in their faith, who received a no, who then walked away from their faith completely because God didn't heal my baby. Because God didn't save my marriage. Doesn't he love marriage? Isn't he all about family? Why, did, why didn't God give me the promotion that I'd prayed for and worked so hard for? Why didn't I get that new job that I was looking for? Those with immature faith can turn with a no and say, you know what? You're not worth serving. But we've got to see it. We've got to have our view correct when it comes to God and to understand that God is not he is obligated, or he is not obligated, I should say, to answer our requests like a genie. In fact, there are places in scripture that he says no very clearly, and we're going to look at what those are. It's hard for you to not be disappointed when he says no, but I encourage you to work through that because of what James chapter 1 verse 3 says. It says this, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now that testing of your faith in context is talking about persecution, like they're being tested for their faith. But regardless of whether the tests come from outside sources like humans or from God himself, as in the instance of allowing that to happen to Job, the testing of your faith should produce good results in you that would cause you to stand firmer. There are many instances of God denying human requests in scripture. They're not fun to talk about, but they are necessary because we've got to have a clear head and a clear mind when we, when we look at these things. We've got to understand that God is sovereign. He knows what's best for you here and now and what's best for you then and there. And you don't know. How many of you are parents in this room or grandparents? Okay. You've said no to an, to a request before because you knew better <laughs> because you're not going to be negotiated by terrorists. You know, just, that's what we say in our household. Okay. We don't negotiate with terrorists, but sometimes we say no because we know better. Because my wife cooked a delicious meal, and if I serve them a bowl with four scoops of ice cream six minutes before the meal time, I know that they're not going to eat that meal. So I know what's healthy for them and that they've got to eat their vegetables. Do so today, okay? Here's the point. God sometimes says a no, and we have to be okay with that. It may not be fun or easy, but we need to work through it. Go with me to Acts chapter 16, verse six through nine. Paul gets told no. This is very interesting. It's interesting because it would have had a great result, we think, and it does eventually, but just start reading in verse six. It says this, and they went through the region of 
these places, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Why in the world would God prevent his... He told them, don't go. It's not because he didn't like the Asians. It's not because he didn't think that they deserved it. Surely every other passage in scripture backs up that for whosoever will, he wants them all saved. But there was something bigger at work. Look at what verse 7 says. And when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, the Greek that's used there is actually different than the Greek that is used as the titling of the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. It's as if the Spirit of Jesus appeared and told them, don't. So they passed by that place in verse 8, and they went down to Troas. Paul desired to preach the news, the good news of the gospel in Asia, but God said no. You may ask that question, but isn't it God's will to have delivered the good news to everyone and let everyone hear? Yes, it is. Principally speaking, it is. But there were other things at work, and we're not even certain of what they were. I don't know if there was an evil dictator, ruler, that would have killed Paul in an untimely way. I don't know what they would have faced or what other tragedy or issue they would have had. But I do know something amazing happens in the rest of Acts chapter 16. That as soon as this finishes, that passage, then they began to preach in these other places. And churches began to be built. They went to Macedonia. All kinds of amazing things happened. And we still have the word of God today, those letters that were written to other places, as a result of Paul not doing what he wanted to do, but obeying the Lord. Sometimes this is the case in our own life as well. So I guess the question is this. Will you allow your faith to be tested by God when he answers with a no? Or will you just choose to stop believing in him if you don't get what you want? And I know that's a challenge. But that's what real faith is. It is persevering even in the midst of not receiving what we had wished for. I I challenge you, and I think you've understood this if you've been here long enough. I challenge you to have a biblically intelligent view of God's sovereignty. Because it's not just your will to be done. In fact, let me show you what happens with another no that Paul gets in 2 Corinthians 12. The end of verse 7 says this, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming prideful or conceited. The word of God continues in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That was God's answer, which is, I don't know if you read that. It's a no. It's a, it's a no for me right now. That's, that's what God was saying. Why? Because he says, my grace is sufficient. And when you find yourself at the bottom in this place of desperation, it's in that moment that I receive most glory because you look up at me in the midst of your weakness and I am glorified. 
So then Paul turns it around and says, therefore, I'll boast all the more readily, more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest on me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. This, this is what a comprehensive view of God's sovereignty looks like. Regardless, regardless, sorry, of my weakness or an insult that I've received for my faith's sake or my hardship that I deal with or being persecuted or a calamity that befalls me, whenever I'm weak, God, you are strong. So we need to grow mature enough in our faith to accept this answer, understanding that this testing of our faith produces steadfastness and God's grace is sufficient. Amen? The third answer that you've maybe heard before and you will find biblical evidence for is a single word, wait. That would be just using the ice cream analogy of my kids, wait till after dinner. Once you eat that five pounds of vegetables that you imagine is five pounds, really five green beans, they're so dramatic. I don't know where they get it from. But if they, if they would finish, if they would finish what I've asked them, somebody better put their spiritual ears on today and hear through this analogy. If they'll finish what I've tasked them with, the answer will be a yes. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet in Judah and uh, he received this answer, wait. Habakkuk verse, or chapter one, verse two says this. He cries out to the Lord and says this. Now, hey, if you remember last week's message, this is a prayer of complaint. It's a lament. Lord, how long should I cry to you for help and you not hear me? Or cry to you and say violence and you will not save? Habakkuk is, he's grappling with something deep in the midst of their national issues they're facing, in the midst of rulership challenges, evil wickedness, all of those things purveying. He's finding himself praying, crying out to God, and God is silent. And so he's mad. He's complaining to God and saying, God, are you not the God that I thought you were? You said you're the God who hears and sees. What what are you doing? I'll paraphrase God's answer to the prophet's prayer of complaint. But he says this in verse 3, 4, 5, as you read the rest of Habakkuk chapter 1. He says, even when you don't think I'm listening, I'm working out my plan and it's bigger than you. So, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait and see how big this plan is. He goes on to describe in the book of Habakkuk the rest of what's going to happen as a result of an enemy army and all of these challenges that they're going to face. But God is doing something far greater outside the scope of Habakkuk's mind when Habakkuk is praying, 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 and saying, God, why are you quiet? But God was saying, wait, wait and see what is going to happen. 
whenever we have this answer that we receive, we need to remind ourselves that God is in control. We've got to trust him to continue working in whatever way he sees fit. By God, if his own son, only begotten son on the earth, had to pray and submit his will to the father, then what are you... I almost It sounds terrible, but what are you crying about? Sometimes the answer is just wait. Sometimes it's meant to help us with our perseverance. Sometimes it's because God is doing something far greater than we could ever imagine or think. And he wants to do it on our behalf and the behalf of others. We don't know. So we've got to trust. We would do well to remind ourselves in prayer that God is sovereign. He so- listen to me. He is sovereign over all things, over all people, over the wicked, over the righteous. He is sovereign. So if the answer is wait, then wait patiently before the Lord because he guarantees he will always come through. Point number four, the fourth answer, and that is this. God's answer may be, I can't hear you. <laughs> pastor, I think something's wrong with you. I don't know what meds you're on, but you just said God hears and sees. God hears and sees. Now you're telling me an answer that God gives in scripture is I can't hear you. It's not because he's deaf. It's because he actually can't hear you because there's something, an obstacle in the way and it is unacknowledged unconfessed or unrepentant sin. This is the bad news. This is the toughie. This seems to be, according to many commentaries and theologians, whether they're traditional, liberal, or anything in between, conservative, this seems to be hands down the only biblical reason that God refuses to hear a prayer from his child is because there is unacknowledged, unconfessed, or unrepentant sin. Basically, God says, listen, I know y'all are down there. I've seen what's been going on, but you've got to do something and turn yourself around and come back to me. And here's what he says in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13 to 15. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon's temple, God says, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And verse 15 gives that assurance, and we said this recently, Solomon is being talked to by the Lord about the physical temple that has been built. Verse 15 says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. The further continuation of that is, in the New Testament, we have, as a result of Jesus Christ's work, become the temple of the living God. So that means God will hear and see and forgive and heal all of those things if we come to him 
acknowledge our sin, pray a prayer of confession, like we talked about last week, confess and repent of sin, then the Bible says very clearly in those circumstances, every single time, God immediately turned on his radar, heard everything again. Not that he wasn't hearing it to begin with, but he had no obligation to listen when there's something in the midst in between he and his child. So after a prayer of confession and repentance on the part of the nation or on the individual, God does hear. But sometimes the answer may just be he can't hear you because there is sin present. And God is a holy God and calls you and I to holiness. Amen. I want to ask you or pose this question to you today. Because we've talked a considerable amount about the sovereignty of God and the will of God. Let me pose this question to you. What do you think is the best way to discover the principles of what God's will is? If you're not sure what the will of God is, you have a resource at your fingertips. The best way to discover God's will and understand his will is to actually become a dedicated student of his word. To combine those two things together, they're a powerhouse combo, a one-two punch, if you will, to pray and to read. That's what we talk about when we say develop a discipline of having a devotional time with the Lord, having time where you read, whether it's the morning or the evening, have time where you pray privately, pray with your spouse, pray with others, pray. Do these things because it will help you understand what the will of God is. So then I can be confident to pray for you today for God to heal you because I know in his word he's called a healer he says by his stripes I have been healed so I can pray that way I can pray for God's provision he may not give you the million dollars you've prayed for but he'll make sure that everything gets taken care of because he's always a God who provides it may take you to the very last moment but he's always a God who comes through. I know this because I know his word and I've seen him do it in my life. Would you stand with me today? Prayer and God's word is a perfect pair. It really is. I want to strongly challenge you today. And I want you to look me in the eyeball when I say this prayer team, go ahead and step out to your places. I want to challenge you today. If you have any need for prayer, I want to encourage you to step out. Our prayer leaders have been trained in how to pray. They've been students of God's word. They've been believers for many years. They're not going to gossip He's not going to come running to Sam and call Sam and say, you know that pastor asked me to pray for. There's confidentiality. You say, pastor, why are you making this such a big deal? Because I make this plea on a weekly basis and y'all act like you don't need prayer. <laughs> okay. 
I said it. Now I hope you hear the feeling behind it and the encouragement. It's not just because I don't want them to stand up here by themselves. It's because I know that there are needs in your home, in your family, in your job, in your relationship, and how good it is. Sister Julie, come here. How good it is to just take hands with somebody and to receive prayer knowing that somebody is agreeing with me in God's will for me. That's amazing. Lord, I pray today that you would speak to us. God, by your spirit, I know there are some who have been so disheartened because they've received a no. I pray today you would overwhelm them your gracious generosity and love. God, I pray that you would encourage every broken-hearted individual that's ever been disappointed in you. Lord, I pray that you would encourage these people that are in actual need, that do have needs in their lives. Pray that you'd encourage them to step out and receive prayer today. And Lord, I pray finally, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every one of us. Help us to commit ourselves today to you in the mighty name of Jesus.